Ladies and gentlemen, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour is on the air. Uh, primarily due to our engineering uh, guru, his name is Alan Dempsey. Uh, he gets us on the air uh, every weekend. Andrew Herdliska produces the show, and I'm very pleased to welcome to Orlando, Florida, Robert Moynihan, founder of Inside the Vatican Magazine. We're going to talk about his new book, Finding Vagano, In Search of the Man Whose Testimony Shook the Church and the World. Robert, uh, so nice of uh, you to join me. Welcome to Orlando. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much for inviting me. Robert, uh, let me just get right to the chase here. Who is Carlo Maria Vigano? Carlo Maria Vigano, or Vigano, as we say in Italy, is an archbishop in the Roman Catholic Church. He's going to turn 80 years old in January. Uh-huh. 79. He was one of the top officials in the church diplomacy. He served in Nigeria as ambassador of the Vatican to Nigeria. He served in Iraq. And prominently, he served in Washington, D.C., in the United States of America from 2011 to 2016. He also had a desk job inside the Vatican itself. For many years, he was about the fifth man in the hierarchy there, and everything would cross his desk that he then set up to the Secretary of State and to the Pope. So this is an insider who was a faithful servant of the Church, tried to do his job well, and I believe a man of faith, deep faith, from an old religious family to very pious parents in northern Italy. And he started to see corruption, which tormented him, and he tried to write, uh, memos saying we have to deal with this, we have to deal with that, and sometimes nothing happened. And at a certain moment, he finally decided to become a whistleblower, that there was corruption that wasn't being, being repressed, but it was being even assisted. And the great case had to do with an American cardinal who now is not any longer a cardinal, is not any longer a priest. His name is Theodore McCarrick. And McCarrick was famous for molesting the very seminarians in his seminary, inviting them into his bedroom, etc. These are terrible things to speak of, but Archbishop Vigano decided to speak out, and he became the most famous whistleblower in the Catholic Church, but then once he wrote his testimony, he went into hiding, because people close to him said, you might have an accident, people will be so upset, people with connections to powerful people around the world might not like your testimony, so go quietly to a very private place and just keep a low profile. I had known him for years, and I went in, in the old uh, telephone number, the old text number, the old Skype number, I contacted him. He trusted me. He said, come to see me. And I found him where he was in hiding. And we had days of conversations. And the stories that he told me are inside the book that I've just published. In some, he is in some way the person in the church who is trying to keep the traditions and the discipline of the Church against a trendy, new, corrupt group that we might call the Deep Church. And in this sense, he's in the Church, sort of like people in our country who are trying to overcome what we might call the Deep State. So this is Carlo Maria Vigano, an archbishop, almost 80 years old, who is denouncing corruption in the church. So, Robert, you then moved to part two, 11 pages that shook the church and the world. Fill us in on part two. This is the so-called testimony. It was published on the 25th of August, 2018. So that's two years and three months ago. He 
meditated for over a year on how he needed to speak out and name names of people who either financially or regarding sexual abuse had broken their faith with God and with the church and had started to make the church into their own sort of personal playground. And he drafted an 11-page document which landed almost like a neutron bomb into the uh, highest levels of the church, naming all sort of names of people who overlooked reports of abuse, didn't deal with it, allowed it to fester, even promoted people in a kind of so-called lobby or, or mafia inside the church of people who helped each other. And... In doing so, he became, uh, in one moment, at the end of August in 2018, the number one prophetic voice, a voice in the wilderness in the Church, daring to tell the truth about problems in the Church and asking that they be dealt with. That came about after this, in the summer of 2018, there were reports about Cardinal McCarrick, having molested his own seminarians, and McCarrick was dismissed as a cardinal. He had been the highest-ranking, arguably the highest-ranking American cardinal. McCarrick had been the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., the capital. And he was removed. Well, already in 18, he had retired, but he was removed as a cardinal. And uh, then in August of the summer of 2018, a Pennsylvania grand jury report came out in the early part of August and said there are many cases of abuse by priests of young, of young people, of young men. And all across the country, Catholics were saying, what the heck has happened to the Church? How could it have ever come to this? And Vigano responded to that widespread question by saying, there was a type of corruption that had crept in and then had grown and festered, and that he was going to explain and name names of who it was that had supported this corruption. And after he published his report at the end of August 2018, he went into hiding for more than a year. And at the end of 2019, I went and found him, we talked, and then during the beginning of 2020, I wrote this book, and now it's out. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, it's called Finding Vigano, and I went to find the man and then to find out his story. Now, uh, my guest is Robert Moynihan. Robert, uh, uh, let me move to part three uh, of your book, Finding Vigano, from 2000 to 18 to 2019, more letters. Uh, What can you add here? Well, from the place where he was living very quietly and in hiding, he occasionally commented on events in, uh, in the world, and the Vatican attempted to respond to his allegations saying that he's exaggerating or that he is inventing things or that there were explanations for the charges he was leveling. And in a way, the situation got worse in that process. Um, The essential issue was really focused on Cardinal McCarrick himself. How was it possible that by step, he rose in the church hierarchy from being uh, the, the, the secretary to one of the uh, archbishops of New York, then becoming a bishop himself in a little uh, diocese in New Jersey, Metuchen, then to be promoted to a larger diocese, Newark, then to be promoted finally to the the most important, arguably because it's in the nation's capital, diocese in America, that is Washington. 
and to be made a cardinal by Pope John Paul II. How did all this occur? Well, I'm going to tell you this, Robert. Right after the break, you can tell us about it. Uh, Just uh, this note, folks, we're talking to Robert Moynihan, uh, author of Finding Vagano. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We'll be right back after these messages. My guest is Robert Moynihan. He's joining us from uh, Western Virginia, where he is uh, residing right now, where he is. is. Uh, The book is Finding Vagano. Now, Robert, uh, we've covered the first three parts. Who is Carlo Maria Vagano? Uh, 11 pages that shook the church and the world. More letters. Now we've arrived at part four, and it's simply called Finding Vagano, The Call. I am back in Rome. My father, uh, fill us in. Well, you know, people around Rome were saying, I wonder what happened to the archbishop. Where is he? And nobody knew. And I wrote him an email, and I said, is it possible we could talk? He said, well, we possibly could talk, but be very careful to run your phone through some type of VPN, because your calls might be traced. So I I um, established a, a virtual a personal network where the phone would be in one minute showing that the computer was connected to someplace in, uh, say, Thailand or Vietnam, and the next minute Los Angeles so that I couldn't be traced. I called him up, and I said, you know, how are you doing? He said, I'm well. And uh, I said, is it possible that I could come and find you and talk to you and, and, and really go through this story and then prepare a book for publication? He said, let me think it over. And he was hesitating, not so much about me, but whether uh, there would be a danger that... I would be followed or that somehow some negative would emerge. And he said, let's just email back and forth. And I said, no, I really want to come talk to you. So a few, uh, a certain amount of time passed, a few days. And then he said, I think I'm ready to see you. I will tell you where I am and you can come find me. So he gave me an address in a country where I left Rome from and I coordinated with various means of transportation. Eventually, I rented a car, and I went to a certain location, and I found him. And he had grown a beard, and he said, I I want to go with you to a very small monastery where I know the abbot. He's a man that I trust, and we will live with the monks, and we will talk about the crisis in the church and the modern crisis of attacks on the Christian faith all over the world. And we will talk about how you could write something that perhaps might help to purify and restore the church and defend the faith. And I did that with him. We went to a little monastery. We lived with the monks. Every day we spoke for many hours. I tape recorded our conversations. And we went through the problems that the modern world faces with religious faith. And um, then I left him, I stayed in touch with him, and I started writing this book. And uh, after many months, I completed the book, and we just published it, Finding Vigano. Now, part five, face-to-face with Vigano, first meeting July 27th, 2019. Uh, fill us in on that part. Well, I drove my car into the parking lot of a little hotel, and then he said, I will come and find you there. And I'm, I'm sure he, has, was, he was walking down the street, and uh, he wore a baseball cap. And he had a beard, and at first, as he came up at a distance, say, of 50 or 100 yards, I wasn't even sure 
that I recognized him, but I said, that's the only person walking toward me. And I said, he's got a beard. He never had had a beard, but he had a big white beard. And I said, that's him. Mm. So I waved from the car window and he walked up to me. He said, good day, Robert. It's a pleasure to see you. And I said, Archbishop, it's great to see you. You look well. But you've put on a beard and a baseball cap. He said, well, that's a better way of, of keeping my presence and my identity uh, a little bit obscured. So we then sat down and started to talk. I asked him where he had been. He described to me uh, staying with a family in another country then uh, traveling to a second country and staying with another family that was uh, old friends, and then traveling to a, a, a... studying where there might be a monastery where he could stay. He was thinking of becoming a monk and where there might be someone who would take him in, and he would live almost in complete privacy. But he said, uh, the problem is I was too well-known. I was afraid of going someplace where he would be recognized that I was there. People would start to come to visit me. So he stayed on his own, and he lived a very quiet life until I went to find him. Now, Robert, let's move to part six. Uh, You call it Vagano on the crisis in the church. What what's he, what's he speaking about? He's speaking about what all of us can see that the old time religion, the old time faith, has in some way become questioned, and in some way we've left it, we've abandoned it. And how has that happened? Why has that happened? And he has thought long and deeply about it. He's read many books. He's thought about the history of the last, actually, of recent decades, but also of recent centuries. He made an analysis of this emergence of our modern world, and what he said was all societies in the past had a deep respect for the concept of a higher power, God. Mm-hmm. But our society has wanted to dethrone that higher power and place man in that position. And man is a wonderful being and very impressive in many ways, although in other ways very weak and very uh, prone to selfishness and to corruption. But he said this process, starting in the 1700s with what we call the Enlightenment and through the French Revolution and then through the 1800s with the emergence of Karl Marx and the idea of uh, a communist uh, economic system which would deny the existence of any god, state atheism, into the into the 1900s with the First World War, the breakdown of the old political system in Europe, all of the idea of kings or emperors who were religious, like in Russia they had the Tsar or the Holy Roman, the Holy Russian Tsar who was an Orthodox Christian. In Germany, they had the Kaiser, who was a Protestant Christian. In Austro-Hungary, they had a Catholic emperor, who was the last of the Holy Roman emperors. Even in England, they had a king and a queen who were Anglicans. All of this was swept away by the First World War. After there emerged other movements, fascism in Italy in 1922, when Mussolini marched on Rome, Nazism in Germany. The, um, the the communists in Russia destroyed the Orthodox Russians and destroyed their churches and imposed a state atheism. In 1920, they were the first nation in the history of the world to legalize the abortion of, of children in the womb. All of this process brought us to the Second World War and a, war, and a world that after that was beginning to be globalized, the creation of the United Nations. And Vigano said that this modern uh, progress, which is 
it clearly a uh, uh, very profound trend as we've developed computers, worldwide travel, instant communications, tremendous power. Mankind has got its hands on the sources of nuclear energy, on tremendous amounts of oil, gas, and with the computer we can uh, access uh, the entire world almost instantaneously with video, news, but all of this is subject to a moral corruption if we don't keep the old belief in the dignity of man, in the duty of man to uh, respect the laws of of the of the supreme being of, the, of God. And he said this has been bit by bit abandoned as we've started to think that we are gods. And he said this is the key thing that's created the crisis in our civilization. We've got people who feel they will never be held to account for anything they do. They can commit crimes. They can commit abuses. They can, they can be corrupt, and no one will stop them if they have the power. So he said, first, we must reform and return in the church to the old-time faith, and second, we must try in whatever way we can to do that in our societies, in our families. We must flee from this destruction of the family, destruction of the small town, destruction of our communities, this globalizing uh, influence, which makes us anonymous, which breaks all the old bonds of faith and trust between us, and we must return to the faith. So he became a type of prophet. And this is what we discussed for many hours. Robert, uh, part seven, to the monastery, a conversation in the car. Uh, Vigano is moved to tears. He's again moved to tears. He weeps a third time. I want, I want to hear about this. Well, what we're talking about is what happens really to each one of us when we come up with a conflict of conscience. On the one hand, he was a man, he was a soldier. He was, in a sense, a Marine in the church. Semper Fi, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. He served in the church as a faithful soldier. When his superiors would say, go here, go there, he said, yes, sir. I am willing to go for the sake of God and for the sake of you, my superior, my my bishop, my cardinal, my pope. I believe I'm doing this in keeping with my love of Jesus Christ. I'm doing it. I, 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 I'm not doing it for my own desire. I'm, I'm being obedient because we are engaged in a very complicated and organized effort to defend what is good and true and beautiful. And I'm going to set aside my own desires and be a faithful servant, like every soldier, like every good soldier. But what he started to realize is there had been an infiltration into the church of certain people who had connections outside of the church with groups that wanted to weaken the church, that wanted to change the church. And he started to feel a a sense of tension between his duty to be an obedient servant and his duty to God to tell the truth and to appeal to, uh, to comrades against the corruption that he was seeing, that he felt was destroying the church. And nevertheless, it was a crisis in his own soul, and this is the source of his tears. He would tell me he was very close to Pope John Paul II. He was close also to Pope Benedict. But somewhere in the hierarchy, there were people who were not faithful to those popes. And they were attempting to line their own pockets or to have their own pleasures and not keep the traditional faith of the Church. So he had to come finally to that crossroads where he would oppose some of his colleagues and even some of his superiors and say, this is wrong. But such a moment is a terrifically difficult moment for every man, every woman of conscience. None of us really can 
we have to leave to God, in a sense, the judgment of when do we take that decision to speak up, to tell the truth? When do we take that moment of courage and say, it's more important that I defend and support the truth than that I remain a kind of quiet team player? And as I talked to him and saw him feeling that tension, I saw a tear come out of his eye because there's always a sense that there's a there's a crisis. There's a there's almost a, a turning inside of oneself. Am I really making the right decision? Am I- My guest, it's been Robert Moynihan. We've been talking about his book, Finding Vagano, In Search of the Man Whose Testimony Shook the Church and the World. We've got more. Stay with us right here. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. On the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back. Robert Moynihan, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, Finding Vagano. We go to Wichita, Kansas. Dr. Brian Simmons is with us, lead translator of the Passion Translation. But we're going to talk about his book, The Blessing, Uniting Generations. Brian, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I'm doing great, my friend. Thanks for putting me into the show. Tell me about your book. Well, The Blessing. Yeah, The Blessing is what everybody is longing for. It is uh, something that we crave from our natural parents and our spiritual Father in Heaven. So what more timely theme for this Christmas season than the blessing of God resting on our lives? Can you expand on that word blessing? Sure. The word blessing is found 88 times in the book of Genesis, and it's the expression of God's favor, His delight. Uh, it's, it's verbal. It's audible. It's not just a whim or a wish. It is words spoken over us into our very DNA, into our destiny that changes our life and our future Yeah, the blessing, you know, the thing that impacted me the most when I was translating Genesis was how many times that word blessing is found, and my wife and I decided we'd write a book to describe the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how this blessing is passed down from one generation to the next. Your first chapter is called Leave Everything Behind. Uh, Tell us about that. Now, how would you like to have God say that to you? I mean, that's quite a, a statement. The God of glory, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And as he appeared to Abraham, he told him, leave everything behind, family, kindred, country, livelihood, everything. And that was the launching of the faith that you and I now enjoy in Christ. Abraham's the father of faith. And that story all started when he left everything behind. Now, Brian, I want you to tell us about the seven tests of Abraham. That's your second topic. Oh, yeah. You know, we all want the faith of Abraham, but we don't want to go through the tests that he had to go through to develop that strong faith. But, you know, the story of Abraham really is a story of the tests of God, and it would be foolish to believe that God does not test us. Indeed, He does. And He did with Abraham, and He will with us. God tested Abraham, first of all, by asking him to leave everything behind. And uh, like us, Abraham didn't fully obey, did he? He took his father, he took uh, his nephew Lot, he took uh, everything with him. (laughs) God says, leave it all behind, and Abraham hooked up the U-Haul trailer, and took everything with him. So that test, he didn't quite pass it initially, but he did eventually. And that test led to another, it led to another. He was tested with all of the wealth of Sodom. As uh, the king of Sodom came out to meet Abraham and told him he could take anything he wanted of the spoils of the city that he had recaptured for, for the people. And Abraham said, no, God will be my reward. And that was a test that he passed. The ultimate test of Abraham was the test of giving up his son. 
You know, he had to give up his Ishmael, which was painful because Ishmael was his son as well. But when he had to give up Isaac and literally take him up that mountain of Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice, and thankfully at the very last moment, God withheld his hand and Abraham did not kill his son, but indeed he'd offered him, in effect, there at that altar. So the dearest treasure we have has to be given over to God. And I think the blessing in measure is um, it flows through obedience. And when we obey God, do what he says, we follow his steps, then the blessing is experienced. But thankfully, I just want to add, thankfully, it does not ultimately depend on our obedience, but on the obedience of Jesus Christ. He is the one that fulfilled the law on our behalf. He's the one that offered himself as a sacrifice, not only coming into the world, but he was lifted up on a cross. He gave his blood for us, sacred blood given for us. So he's the one that fully obeyed the Father, and he's the one that pours out blessing to sons and daughters. I'm so blessed. I feel this Christmas season, I know this has been a difficult year for everybody, but let's focus on the blessing, not on what we've lost, but on what we have received through Christ. Dr. Brian Simmons is our guest from Wichita, Kansas. We're talking about his book, The Blessing, Uniting Generations. Topic number three, Brian, that you write about is called Obey the Voice of God. Uh, Tell us more, please. Yeah, Abraham had to follow a voice. He did not have a priest. He did not have a Bible. He did not have a temple but he had the voice of God, and he followed that voice. Wherever that voice led him, Abraham went. And that's what we must do as well. Of course, we hear the voice of God in the Holy Scriptures. Ultimately, this is where God speaks to us. But God wants to open our ears. He wants us to hear his heart. He wants us to follow that voice and to obey it. So I just hope everybody this Christmas season will experience, hearing for themselves the good news of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John. But it all began with Abraham. Matthew 1, verse 1, the Gospel begins with Abraham. So that faith and blessing that he has, we step into today. It's a generational blessing, and uh, I'm taking it. (laughs) Good. Now, Brian, let's go to uh, topic four, God's sevenfold promise. Uh, Tell us more. Well, it begins with, I will bless you. God promises Abraham, I will bless you. Wrapped up in that word blessing was the power to procreate. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were barren, no children, childless. So that blessing impacted Abraham And uh, a child was born because of that. He was blessed uh, to be a father of many, of a multitude of sons and daughters. Abraham's blessing was not just to birth nations, but the enterprises, the communities, and the the, uh, engagement, uh, human interaction, that that blessing of Abraham pours now into the world. Nations have been born through that blessing. So seven blessings of Abraham can be applied to our hearts today, and I think it's really important that we, uh, we step forward into that blessing and live in it. Can you uh, fill us in more on number five, build an altar of worship? Yeah, Abraham, whenever he had an encounter with God, he built an altar. And I think we need to build an altar of worship in our divine encounters to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, to uh, understand his goodness in our life. It's like putting a stake in the ground. You know, today we don't necessarily build a stone altar, but it's similar to like putting a stake in the ground and just saying, you know, this is what God has done for me. I'm not going to uh, fall away from it. I'm going to step forward and... uh, enjoy the presence and favor of God in my life. 
So, yeah, building altars in our life is very important, not only for ourselves, but our children and our grandchildren. Now, I want you to uh, expand on topic number six, Brian. During tests of faith, turn to God. My, my. We're all being tested this year, this season, isolation, loneliness. Sadly, suicide has, has become rampant in our culture because of despair. And I, I think when we're tested, when we're tried, we need to turn our heart to the Lord God. And I'm praying for a great awakening, a great revival to sweep over not only Central Florida, but to sweep over our nation and the nations of the earth that will awaken us. So may whatever trouble you're in today, may it push your heart closer to the living God. He's there. He's sympathetic. He understands us. We have a high priest that that deals gently with us and our weakness, and he's ready, if we'll turn to him, to lift those burdens and to pour his, his spirit and his grace into our lives. Now, Brian, let's... Uh move to uh, topic number seven. Uh, You say, be an example, not an echo. Yeah, I was thinking of the story of Lot. You know, Lot followed the, the chosen man, Abraham, but he himself was but an echo, not a, uh, you know, he didn't follow the Lord as much as he followed Abraham. He was um, a Klingon. He just wanted what his uncle had, but he didn't pave a way into the heart of God for himself. He didn't stand in those blessings himself. And we all know the sad story of Lot and his wife. Uh, His wife turned into a pillar of salt as fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot ended up in a cave and and, uh, became a caveman in isolation, all because he refused to follow the voice of God, like Abraham did. So, yeah, it's important that we be a voice and not an echo in this generation. Next topic for you to discuss for us, beware of seeking the world. Yeah, look what happened to Lot. He parked his, uh, he pitched his tent there in Sodom. He was um, a well-known figure in that, in that city, that village but he ended up being destroyed. The world is passing away. First John says that all the things of this world are passing away. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're all going to be destroyed. So we don't want to pitch our tent. We don't want to put our lives next to the, the hopes and desires of the world, but in the kingdom of God, the world to come, the glory that is in the person of Christ and waiting for us. There's so much in this story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's, uh, it's, impacted me. it's impacted me deeply, and I hope it will, the readers as well. I'm sure it will. Next topic for you, Brian. Restore those overtaken with a fault. Here's the crazy thing. After Lot separated from Abraham, he ended up going into Sodom, which was destroyed. Then he went into a cave, and eventually um, he, uh, he got messed up. Lot really got messed up, and Abraham went to his rescue and delivered him. Can you imagine going after a wayward nephew that uh, had left you and abandoned you and walked away? That's the love Abraham had even for Lot. So I believe that's a picture of restoring a fallen brother, a fallen sister that we go in love to them and not add condemnation and guilt and shame upon their lives, but be a redeemer, a rescuer, somebody that will help the wayward out of their trouble. Now, Brian, the topic is God's love is all we need. That's topic number 10. (laughs) It really is. We don't need the things of the world. We don't need you know, all the things that we think we need. My wife and I lived in the jungle for many years with nothing virtually, uh, lost most of our possessions in a flooding river, uh, our canoe overturned, and 
we we lived in a very primitive fashion, and we learned in that season of life where true joy and inner contentment comes, and it's it's from the love of God. Love is all we need, and may this Christmas season be a time of love and joy and cheer, no matter what the world is experiencing, no matter what politics, no matter what coronavirus may be uh, lurking, there is a place of joy and cheer in the hearts of God's lovers. And may this Christmas season bring us closer to that truth that love is really all we need. Dr. Brian Simmons is our guest. Uh, We have another segment with Brian, but I do want to remind you that we're uh, working on uh, trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can help. Uh, there's a website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com. And uh, just go up there and, and check in with us and let us know your feelings and uh, whether you'd have interest in a season ticket plan sometime down the road. Orlandodreamers.com. We've got more with Dr. Brian Simmons. He's in Wichita, Kansas. His book is called The Blessing, Uniting Generations. And uh, just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're having a wonderful discussion with Dr. Brian Simmons, author of The Blessing. Brian, uh, uh, talk to us about Topic 11, have a heavenly vision for your life. What's that mean? Well, I think it's setting our heart on a city whose builder and maker is God. That's what Abraham did. He put his heart on something beyond the temporal, beyond this earth. And I think God is reminding us this Christmas season, every one of us, that the things of earth grow strangely dim. And believe me, uh, earth is, is being shaken right now. And God wants us to turn our gaze to him. And You know, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is eternal. Uh, Abraham was the champion of faith, and his life message was that of faith. He's the father of faith. We all are related, so to speak, spiritually to Abraham. Then Isaac, his life message was inheritance. He received from his father. Isaac gives us the story of sonship. Not a lot in the book of Genesis about Isaac uh, compared to Abraham and Jacob, but Isaac is a central figure that shows us the value of inheritance. He received from his father Abraham that blessing. And then Jacob. Uh, for me, I find the light that he is the God of Jacob. doesn't just say the God of Israel, but the God of the schemer, the conniving, clever, heel-grabbing Jacob. And I think that brings hope for you and I. Jacob's life message was the message of transformation. So, God is not just the God of Abraham. He's the God of generations, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Faith will bring us into sonship, which will bring us into transformation. And he's the God that walks us through that process. Brian, I want you to uh, explain topic 12. God blesses all who believe. Amen to that. Faith is the key. Faith is the victory. It overcomes the world. Faith is the key that unlocks the door of blessing in our life and in our family. You know, my wife and I, Candace and I, we were the first generation to believe in Christ in our family. And we prayed with tears over the, over the years. And now I can say with joy, every single one of our family members, all the way down to nieces and nephews, have received the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by faith, and have stepped into that eternal life and joy that Jesus Christ gives us. So the blessings of God really hinge, don't they, on our faith. If we will believe, if we will trust and yield our hearts to God, blessings will overflow, and they will multiply, and they will make our sorrows uh, seem uh, insignificant. Now, uh, tell us about trust in God's timing. You know, to know the will of God is not the same as knowing the timing of God. And so often, you know, um, when God says a word to us, we think immediately it's going to happen, when in fact there may be a process. God gave to Isaiah 
prophecy of the coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ, hundreds of years before Christ was born. And uh, there's often a waiting period, isn't there, between the promise and its fulfillment. And I've had to learn the hard lesson that, that uh, to know the, the will of God doesn't mean we know the timing of God. You know, uh, you may be a single person listening today, and you know that God has promised you a spouse, a partner. But, wow, isn't it hard to wait? But it's so worth the wait to let God choose the best. And I think that's what waiting on God is all about. It's letting God be the one to choose for us. Now, let's get to the topic uh, that you call walk blameless before God. Uh, Expand on that, please. When the Lord appeared to Abraham, which, by the way, he did numerous times, uh, when one time when he appeared to Abraham, he said to walk before me blameless. And I think the key is not just the word blameless, but to walk before me. And as we put our hearts in the presence of God, he will cleanse, he will purify, he will transform us. Uh, it's not just self-effort. It's not striving in the flesh, but it's walking before God. And when we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that, that promise, or maybe a challenge that God gave to Abraham, He's giving to this generation today as well, that we would walk blamelessly before God and before others, that we would live free from offense, we would live with our hearts set on heaven, we would uh, purpose in our lives to be pure and holy before God, and to be prayerful, to walk through the day as, as as a walking prayer meeting, prayer on two legs, that we would be the holy of holies, that we would carry like Mary this Christmas season, the Christ of glory within our soul. And as we do, we'll find our heart being transformed and changed. And that generational blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will pour into our hearts. Nothing is too extraordinary for God, you tell us in chapter 15, Brian. Uh, Fill us in. Yeah. Well, you know, here Abraham is, uh, what? 100 years old, and his wife, you know, uh, Sarah, 90, and God gives them this promise that they're going to have a child. No wonder it's, it's funny uh, that Sarah laughed, and if you look at it carefully, Abraham laughed too. Can you imagine both Sarah and the baby in, in a walker? Both of them would have a walker. <laughs> and to know that nothing is impossible with God. When God promises you something, take it to the bank. It's going to happen in His time and in His way. But God is a God of miracles. Christmas is a season of miracles. And may each one of us today, may we take the promise of blessing and let the miracles of God be released into our lives. Brian, I want you, our guest is uh, Dr. Brian Simmons. His book, The Blessing, The Power of Intercessory Prayer. Uh, You're going to have to teach us here, Brian. Well, Abraham was an intercessor. He was a prophet. He was a friend of God. He was a patriarch. But in Genesis 18, we find Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, interceding for a city. And uh, we know the story. He started with 50. You know, God, if you find 50 righteous, are you still going to destroy the city? And, and he negotiated with God. And sometimes prayer is a negotiation with God. It's, uh, at times we have to say, no, God, I, I want you to do this. And I know that sounds strange, but God will respond to our cry. And we don't want to lose loved ones. We don't want to lose our, our grace that's on our life. So we intercede, and we pray, and we watch God work. So Abraham's life is a message, I believe, of intercessory prayer. Let's go uh, to topic number 17, always look forward and trust God. Amen. Abraham's journey kept moving him forward, didn't it, to the promised land, to his inheritance, to all that God had given to him, and so must we. 
we are a people that keep moving. We don't park. We don't stop on a plateau and call it the finish line. We keep moving our heart closer and closer to God. I've walked with the Lord now for 49 years, and I can say every year has become sweeter, more glorious, more intense, more saturated with God's presence. And I think um, maybe my life lesson is just don't quit. Keep moving forward, one step at a time, one day at a time, until the fullness of God manifests on the horizon. So it's so important that we be persevering in this season of difficulty. Brian, uh, I'm so glad that uh, you joined us. We, we could have gone on another hour. Yeah, <laughs> sow a seed for your own healing. Fix your heart on eternity. Uh, but folks, go get the book, and uh, you can get all the rest of this. Dr. Brian Simmons, the author of The Blessing, Uniting Generations. All the very best to you, Brian. I hope uh, 2021 is a fabulous year for you, and keep up the good work. And for you as well, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Brian Simmons, author of The Blessing. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. You just stay tuned all day long. Uh, I'll be back. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Robert Moynihan was with us from uh, Virginia. Uh, His book, Finding Vagano, In Search of the Man Whose Testimony Shook the Church and the World. And then uh, Dr. Brian Simmons uh, spent time with us uh, talking about his book, The Blessing, Uniting Generations. Uh, Let me... uh, Again, uh, wish you a very, very, very happy new year. Let's, uh, let's pray that 2021 will be a year uh, of great growth, great spiritual advancement in our lives, uh, great faithfulness to the Lord, uh, spending more time in his book, the Bible, and uh, really getting to know it better and studying it and memorizing it. All good goals for 2021. So, uh, Very simply, a very happy new year to you. And we'll see you next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.